This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week we excitedly open the book of Bamidbar, eager to begin a new Sefer. And indeed, Sefer Bamidbar is a tremendously exciting book. It starts as the people are still encamped around Harsinai, and ends as they stand poised on the border of Eretz Israel, ready to enter the land. And so it describes quite an exciting journey. And in fact, of course, Sefer Bamidbar describes the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, uh, the sins and the successes of Bnei Israel as they travel through the Midbar. Um, This was a journey that they expected would take them a short amount of time, but took them 40 years. And Sefer Bamidbar has a unique focus, not focusing so much on Moshe or Aharon and the Kohanim, but focusing a great deal on the people. And uh, it is with the people that we open, with uh, the count of the nation. And if you look at the opening lines, we have a list of all the Nisiyim, all of the leaders of the tribes, in fact, if you look through Sefer Bamidbar, the leaders of the tribes are, are counted time after time. They're counted in chapter 1, they're counted, counted in chapter 7 at the dedication of the Mishkan, they're counted again when we talk about the uh, the Muraglim, they're counted again with the division of the land. Uh, the Nasim are very central. As I say, uh, it is people power, political leadership, that we see throughout uh, this book of Bamidbar. Um, this includes the sort of intervening group known as the Levim. They are not uh, the priests, the Kohanim, who serve in the Midrash, but they also have a more, how should we say, civilian interface. And uh, therefore they are described more than any other book. They are described, the Levim, their role in the Mishkan is described in Sefer Bamidbar. Our topic this week is going to be the um, the count of the people, the census, as we might call it, which uh, takes up chapter 1 and chapter 2 of, of Sefer Bamibar. It then continues with the counting and organization of the Levim of the Levites in chapters 3 and 4. And of course the question is going to be why we need to enumerate everybody, why we need to have... Um, such a deliberate and detailed count. Of course, chapter 1 numbers all of the different tribes, how many people are in the tribe, Mibene Srimshanavamala, 20 and up, the male folk. And uh, chapter 2 um, organizes them into a camp. And uh, we, we wonder what exactly is going on here. Why does the Torah, what's it looking at when it, when it deals with this? Maybe we will start off, as we frequently do, with Rashi. And I think uh, there is a pretty famous comment of Rashi here. Uh, I'll read it and translate it. Because God loves Israel before him, he counts them all the time, every hour. Well, he doesn't really mean every hour, he enumerates when. When they came out of Egypt, he counted them. 
And when they fell after the sin of the Egel, Mana'am, Leida, Minyan, Hanotarim, he counted them again to know the number of the survivors. And when he came to establish his Shechina amongst them, Mana'an. On the first of Nisan, the Mishkan was set up, and already on the first of Iyar, he counted them. Rashi tells us that uh, this count is an expression of God's love. Of course, God knows how many of Bnei Israel there are, but God insists out of an expression of love in, in counting Bnei Israel with regularity. He counted us when we came out of Egypt. In fact, the Torah mentions in Shemot chapter 12 that we came out 600,000 people. We counted again after the Egel in Parashat Pikudei, and we are counted again here. What is so special here, he says? Well, the Mishkan is set up on the 1st of Nisan, and if you look at the opening date in the book of Bamidbar, it says the 1st of Iyar, the 1st of the 2nd month. Rashi says this is an expression of God's uh, love that um, whenever critical events happen, he counts the people. Two words about this Rashi. First, uh, I'd like to say that Rashi begins most of his books with a statement about the special connection between Am Yisrael and God. Uh, he does this for every single Sefer. He starts off Sefer Bereshit by saying how Am Yisrael have a unique claim on um, the Am Yisrael have a unique claim on Eretz Yisrael that cannot be contested by any of the nations of the world who might want to claim it's not ours. In other words, the opening of Bereshit is relating to the special covenant or connection between God and Israel. Um, once again, in the beginning of Shemot, he talks about the special love of God for Bnei Israel. Likewise, at the beginning of uh, Sefer Vayikra, he talks about how um, Moshe's prophecy is, is particularly different to, for example, Bilam's prophecy, and that it is a Lashon Chiba, Lashon Shehamalachei Hasharet Mishtam Shimbo. In each book he talks about God's special love for the people. This is something methodological about how Rashi approaches each book, feeling that each book needs to be introduced with a special loving um, introduction. So that's the first thing. But the second thing let's say about this Rashi is that it is a little strange. Um... How does counting express God's love of the people? Why does God, God knows how many of us there are. What does he mean when he says that by counting us all the time, it is an expression of love? And we're going to come back to this in a minute. Maybe easier than Rashi, although less uh, well known, is the comment of the Rashbam. The Rashbam says that uh, why does the nation need to be counted at this particular juncture. It is not, as Rashi explained, that we are looking back to the establishment of the Mishkan a month ago, and that this is a response to the Mishkan that we have to be counted. No. The Rashbam suggests, and I think the Sephora follows him, that we're actually looking forward. He says, We need to go to Eretz Yisrael now. And all of the 20-year-olds now can go into the army, and therefore 
in order that we get ready for the conquest of Eretz Israel, we need to count the people. And I think the Rashbam is related, of course, to the language here of the of the chapters. And let me try and elaborate what I mean when I say this. Um, what do we see here? Um, the language all the time is... Uh, I'll give you just one of the paragraphs. All who go to the army, right? The word lefaked um, to uh, command or to be in a situation of an army officer, right? If you remember, the phrase here is otam, count them, otam, according to their armies. Likewise, if you look in chapter two. We'll see Degel Machaneru Uvein. You have these flags and you have Machane, a camp where Machane usually refers to a war camp. And therefore, Utsva'o Ufkurehem, the language is particularly military. Why we count from age 20, Mi Ben Esrim Shanavamala. It is very clear, says the Rashbam, that we're getting ready for war. Well, when is the war going to be? So the Rashbam elaborates as to the timeline of. Um, to the timeline of the conquest of Eretz Israel, he points out that in Bamidbar, chapter um, ten, verse eleven, Perak Yud Pasuk Yud Aleph, just twenty days after the instruction of this count, Vahi b'shana hashenit b'chodesh hasheni b'esrim b'chodesh na'alah anan. In other words, on the twentieth of of Iyar. 20 days after God gives the instruction to count the people, the cloud lifts up and and the people go on their journey to Eretz Israel. If I take the opening line of Sefer Devarim, it tells us that it is a mere 11 days walk, 11 days journey from Har Sinai to the border of Eretz Kanaan. Putting it quite simply, um, within a month from now, and Israel can be massing on the borders of Eretz Israel, and therefore the time has come to organize this uh, group of uh, of people into army divisions, into a into a marching camp, a camp which can um, face the pressures of the conquest of Eretz Israel, and this very much explains why we need to count the people at this time. And even if God, it's not a count for God. It's a count for the army officers, for the leaders of each tribe to know how many soldiers they have, how many divisions, what firepower, what, um, how many soldiers they have at their disposal. So the Rashbam's approach is, is exceptionally rational and reasonable. Um, and I think we need to return to Rashi to try and see if we can elaborate Rashi just a little bit more. Because Rashi's enigmatic. Rashi says it's about love. What's he talking about? So I'd like to try and explain a little bit more about Rashi. And I hope we're not going to get too much into Darshanut. I'm not looking to get into homiletics. I'm actually looking to probe the ideas behind the text here. Um, I heard some years ago an explanation of this Rashi in the name of the Maharal. And the Maharal says that 
it is not so much that God, when somebody loves something, it's not so much that they count it the whole time. It is much more that they imagine, I don't know, I think the Ramba, the, the Maharal's example is of a jeweler who has uh, some fine jewels, some fine diamonds or, or whatever he might have. When he counts them the whole time, it's not to count whether one has gone missing. Um, rather, somebody who is a collector, somebody who collects something that they particularly like, is uh, going to go through their collection, whether it's a stamp collection or whatever it might be, whether it's an album of old photographs, and look at each uh, picture, look at each diamond, examine the colour, examine the cut, examine the uniqueness, just enjoy, enjoy looking at them. Uh, this is, In other words, when you really love something, you, you can look for hours at these things and go through them again and again and again and again. Um, examining what is so special, discovering new things all the time about this cherished object, this cherished item, this, as far as you're concerned, this collector's item. Um, putting it slightly differently, I would say we are not counting the people, but we are not we. God is not counting the people. God is taking account of the people. Not account as in a count, but account, a double C. Why? And Rashi explains why we do this. We do this at particular junctures in our history. When we come out of Egypt, we are taking account of the nation because this is a beginning and we are saying, what can you do in order to assist the national effort? When people fall at the Egel, God counts to know how many people are left. But it's not just he needs to know how many people. He's taking account, once again, who fell and who remains. And maybe I'll put it differently. For those who are the survivors, what did you do to stop the sin of the Egel? And what are you going to do to ensure that it doesn't happen again? Likewise, when the Shekhinah is set up in the form of the Mishkan in the camp, so God's presence is now in the camp, this demands a, a high level of spiritual, um, high spiritual level, a high regard for God's presence in the camp. What does this uh, demand? of every individual in the camp, God counts them to say, well, this is a critical moment. Pay attention. What are you going to do in order to ensure that God's Shekhinah remains in the camp? And I think that if we examine the language of the Parsha, we will find this strain as well. We already mentioned the language of, uh, of, of the military language, which is contained here in chapter, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Notion of tzavam, shanavamala, but there is a whole um, second set of vocabulary here, and I'd like to relate to it. And this is not all of that military language is in pasuk gimel. Let's pasuk gimel. Let's read pasuk bet. Seu et rosh kol adap bnei Israel lemishpachotam levet avotam. Su'u, the verb is not pakod, that's in verse 3, but in verse 2, su'u, raise up the heads of all the community of Bnei Israel, according to their families, according to their father's house, in account of names, kol zachar every male by his gugolet, his head. What do we mean with this strange depiction of, of the mispar shemot, the notion of, of names, the notion of mishpchotam beitavotam. 
what is this peculiar description? So I'd like to start off with actually the notion of the phrase mispar shemot. Mispar shemot, the number of names. Of course, usually you number people by numbers. Maybe counting by a half shekel, you count all the shekels. You've got no clue what everybody's name is. All you know is the numeric, the, the number, the sum total of your population. But here it says they want everybody's names. What is the indication of a name? You know, when we want to depersonalize sometimes, depersonalize people, we sometimes give them a number, like a prisoner has a number. Prisoner, number, five, seven, three, four, two. Um, even a soldier sometimes is given a number. But when you want to personalize something, you, you give them a name. And a name frequently goes back to the very essence of, of what the person is about. This is true throughout the Torah. Maybe uh, the most classic example of uh, using a name is with Adam. When Adam is lonely and he has to seek a, a partner, it says, Adam uh, called names to all of the animals and birds and all the creatures, but he did not find a helpmeet. And what's names got to do with it? The answer is that a name is a description, it is an assessment, it goes to the very root of what a person is. It is an identity. And uh, when we're counting the mispar shemot, we are indeed identifying something, and one could even say raising it up. Let me explain the difference between the anonymity of a number and the name with a passage of Ross Soloveitchik from his wonderful article, The Community. And I will, and I quote, this is the language of Ross Soloveitchik, page 16 of the uh, uh, of the journal Tradition from 1978 in which Rasolovitchik published this article. Uh, again, I quote, Quite often, a man finds himself in a crowd among strangers. He feels lonely. No one knows him. No one cares for him. No one is concerned with him. It is, it is again an existential experience. He begins to doubt his ontological worth. This leads to alienation from the crowd surrounding him. Suddenly, someone taps him on the shoulder and says, Aren't you, Mr. So-and-so? I've heard so much about you. In a fraction of a second, his awareness changes. An alien being, alien being turns into a fellow member of an existential community. What brought about the change, the recognition by somebody? The word. To recognize a person is not just to identify him physically, it is more than that. It is an act of identifying him existentially as a person who has a job to do, that only he can do properly. To recognize a person means to affirm that he is irreplaceable. To hurt a person means to tell him that he is expendable, that there is no need for him. If you're a number, you are expendable. If you have a name, uh, I'm saying this now, if you have a number, you're expendable, but if you have a name, then you are indispensable. And when we look at the description of the language here, it says, Mispar Shemot, the number by name. Um, also, Le Mishpachotam, Le Veitavotam. And here, the uh, Ramban, Nachmanides, in his comments in the first chapter, mentions the way that this is meant to take place, that this is meant to transpire. And again, it's a fascinating description. He says, Rashi says that, uh, what does it mean that they are numbered according to their, their parental houses? He says, Rashi says they each bring their 
family tree in order to prove that they are from Reuven or Shimon or Levi or Yehuda, what tribe they're from. And the Ramban debates this and he says, I don't really think that they have to bring their family tree. He says that's not what it's about. Um, he even suggests that uh, Moshe asked them each to come to the Mishkan, to come to the Ohel Mo'ed, and to gather as a community there. But again, what's for? And he quotes a Midrash from uh, Midrash Rabbah that says the following, God wanted to count them with honor and greatness. For everyone, not to say to the head of the family, to the patriarch, how many are in your, how many are in your group in your family, or not to say to a parent, they should each pass before you, and I think by he means pass before you maybe uh, before God or before Moshe who is standing before God. In fear, and honor, and you count them. And um, what is happening here? Again, I stress the language which is used here in, cha- in, in verse 2 of chapter 1 here. Su'u, raise up the heads of B'nai Israel. Like Rasul said, when you're recognized as somebody, you're raised up. You're from this family. How many times have we been in exactly Rav Soloveitchik's situation? Nobody knows us, and somebody taps us on the shoulder and says, Oh, I know your grandfather, I know your father, I know your sister. When we understand that we're part of a family, a family is our legacy, our family, we're proud of our, of our tradition, of our forebears. V'mispar Shemot, according to a number of names, kol zachar What we're saying, I come back to my explanation of Russian. God counts us all the time. What does it mean God counts us? He makes us aware of who we are, of where we're coming from, that we have wonderful grandparents. This one was a Rav, and this one was a Chazan, and this one was famous for his honesty in business, and this one was so active in the community. And suddenly we realize we have a legacy to live up to. We have a role to play. Again, let me let me quote the line from Rav Soloveitchik, where he says... Um, to recognize a person is not just to identify him physically, it is more than that. Um, it is a it is an act of identifying him existentially as a person who has a job to do. When we came out of Egypt, what job do you need to do? God counts us. When we fall in the Egel, the question is, what do you need to do now? And now, as the camp is organized, um, as the camp is organized around the Mishkan, uh, the question is, what job do you have to do? So what I've actually tried to build up in, in, in the Shia so far is a sort of contrast between Pasuk Bet and Pasuk Gimel. Uh, of course, if this is true, then the Torah is really trying to give us both dimensions, and one does not negate the other. But the first Pasuk, Pasuk Bet, Se'u et Rosh Koladat Bnei Israel, the Mishmah Chotam, Chotam, expresses the uniqueness of the individual, um, set up for some sort of major spiritual challenge. And um, the second one, the second Pasuk, Pasuk Gimel, is uh, the military need of the immediate challenge of the conquest of the land. And clearly, uh, Perak Aleph and Bet are meant to somehow so- serve this role uh, very well. 
However, I think there is a third dimension that we have not related to, and I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this. The entire camp focuses around a, a harbour, the epicentre, and that epicentre is the Mishkan. We're told, uh, particularly in Parapet, Ish al diglob otot levet apotam yachanu b'nei Israel mi neged saviv l'ohel moed yachanu. They are all camped around the Ohel Moed, around the Tent of Meeting. And in fact, uh, once they describe the camps, the various different camps, they describe the first two, Degel Machanei Yehuda and Degel Machanei Reuven, and then it talks about how this is a camp which is meant to travel, and it says, and the Ohel Moed, the Tent of Meeting, the Mishkan, Machanei Halviyim, with the camp of the Biyim, is in the middle of the camps, Ka'ashe Yachanu Kenisau, as they encamp, so they will travel. They, they travel in formation. Again, there is an argument about what exactly that formation is, whether it is a sort of box formation, which is the way they encamp, or whether it is sort of in a long line. Um, I don't think we're going to get into that quite, quite now, but there is this sense that the entire camp is oriented around its central harm, of the Mishkan. And how are we to to relate to this? And uh, I don't want to get too Kabbalistic on us here, but I would like to look at maybe a sort of unsuspecting source, Ibn Ezra, who we usually see as an arch-rationalist, who in his comments to Peret Bet sort of takes us in a more spiritual, um, otherworldly di- dimension. Um, I'm reading here from the Ibn Ezra, where he talks about the otot, the signs. The signs which are, again, the phrase that he's relating to is, Ish al otot What are these signs? What signs do they have on their flags? So Ibn Ezra says the following, that there were signs on each flag. And he, he quotes the Bamid uh, Barabba, um, who he refers to as Kadmonenu, the rabbis, and he says the following. He says, Our rabbi said that Ruven's flag had the image of a human. And Yehuda's flag had a symbol of a lion. And Ephraim's flag had the symbol of a shore, an ox. And Dan, Dan's flag had the symbol of an eagle. Now to understand, these are the major four um, directions. Ruven are in the south. Yehuda are in the west. Ephraim are in the east. And Dan are in the north. They, they, these are the four major camps. Each have uh, subsidiary tribes with them, but these are the major things. And we have four symbols on them. A human, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. And he says, These are similar to the cherubs, the cherubs that uh, the prophet Ezekiel saw. Now, what is he referring to, Fritz? But the, the aim of the Master Merkava is to s- describe sort of the, how should we call it, the platform or the carriage or something some where the heavens open um, and uh, Yechaskal sees images of God. He sees Marot Elokim. According to the rabbis, this uh, is the chapter which describes the essence of God or the essence of God's chariot, the Ma'aseh Merkava, something that has to be only studied in 
small groups because it contains a huge number of secrets. Some of the entourage, the angelic um, environments of God, and there it describes these sort of winged figures, Kruvim uh, or Ophanim or some sort of uh, angelic figure. And it says, um, and I read from Perak Aleph Pasukud, Udmut Penehem Pene Adam Upne Aryei El Hayamin La Arbaatam Upne Hashar Upne Nesher. That they have four faces human, lion, ox, and eagle. And then it says uh, that they fly. For Ish El Aver Panavi Elechu El Ashe Yeshama, they travel, Ashe Yeshama Haruach, La Lechet Yelechu. They don't turn when they go. Ibn Ezra is suggesting something remarkable. He's suggesting that um, the camp of Israel, at this point, almost resembles the Merkava. Um, it resembles a, a camp, not a camp of, not a war camp, like the Rashbam suggested. Not even a camp of human beings who are set for a mission, like we suggested in the name of Rashi. But almost this is a correlation to a div- the divine camp, to an, a camp of angels. Um, we're familiar with Bilam, who looked from above at the camp and said, Matovu alecha Yaakov, Mishkanotecha Yisrael, and we wonder what exactly he saw when he saw this camp. But the Ibn Ezra will say that somehow there is something about this camp, the Shechina in the middle, God's presence at the very center, and Am Yisrael are representing almost like the angels. We're familiar with a with a correlation between Am Yisrael and angels because we say it every single day in Kedusha. Let us sanctify your name in this world. Like your name is sanctified by the angels upon high where we are who is the this is a quote from uh, Yeshayahu chapter 6 in which the angels are calling out to God Kadosh Kadosh we are saying in Kedusha every time um, that we imitate the angels or we say this in every Kedusha right we will sanctify you like the secrets of the Sarfei Kodesh the burning angels burning holy angels, um, and so forth. So, we have this phenomenal image of a of angels, who cherubs, who travel with God, and are this uh, moving camp with God, and um, they don't turn in either direction, it's said there in the Pesukim. And likewise here, we have a camp which is meant to move, and it says that um, this camp moves with the Mishkan in the center, with God's abode in the center, and uh, nobody turns, everybody is in formation. And what this uh, indicates is something even higher than anything we've said, which is that this um, is the epitome of a Machanesh that we are trying to construct a camp which, uh, so to speak, carries God. Uh, we're familiar with the lines which we quote in Perak, which we which are written in Perak Yud of Bamidbar, Vayhi bin Saaron, Vayomer Moshe, Kuma Hashem, Vayafutso Evecha. And when the Aaron travels, we say, oh God, scatter your enemies. In other words, we really sense that God is in the camp. And Uvenuchoyomar, and when the Ark rests, we say, Shuva Hashem, Rivavot Alfei Yisrael. God, come back to the multitudes, to the myriads of Israel. In other words, God is 
encamped amongst B'nai Israel. Um, and this is quite a, a remarkable statement to make about about this camp. Um, in, in, in this regard, we, as I say, we're describing a a spiritual reality, a spiritual construction. And now we possibly understand the care and attention which is being paid in, in, in Perak Aleph and Bet. Uh, one of the thinkers who elaborates on this theory is the uh, Haramek Davar, the Natsiv. And it is the Natsiv who has a, a thesis that uh, Sefer Bamidbar is divided into two. I think it is divided into two, but he particularly talks about the idea that there are two periods of history and two journeys. Uh, there's the first year, second year of the Midbar, and then there's the 40th year of the Midbar. And according to his theory, that part of the drama of the second year of the Midbar is precisely the fact that we were on an exceptionally high spiritual level. That um, life in the second year of the Midbar, as we were traveling to Eretz Yisrael, was, uh, was supernatural. God was so evident. Um, we have this notion that we are lamala minateva minahagim b'midat tiferet. We're on this level of tiferet. I'm not quite sure what that refers to, but he says lamala mihalichotat teva b'sitrei hashkachat malchut shemayim baruchu. And I think this accords. He mentions explicitly that the are that the therefore the camp is a merkava lishchina. Um, in this case, the, the, as the anticipation of what uh, B'nai Israel are meant to achieve is up in the skies, above the skies. Uh, uh, what I've tried to do in today's shir is to give you three different perspectives. Um, the first two are rooted in, as I say, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Bet, and Gimel. And the third is far more um, allegorical, um, illusory, um, based on Midrash. And yet, uh, you will find in the Balehadrash and in many of the commentaries, uh, the relationship uh, to try and, you know, see the camp in this role. And if you want to try and bring this a little bit more down to earth, I would strongly recommend you reading the introduction of the Ramban to Sefer Bamidbar, where the Ramban tries to suggest that the camp of Bnei Israel surrounding the Mishkan is akin to uh, Bnei Israel who are encamped around. Har Sinai, and there is a resemblance between Har Sinai and the Mishkan, and Bnei Israel encamped around it, that one is a reflection of the other. Um, so this, I hope, has given some sort of shape and depth to our understanding of Parak Aleph and Bet, and I think it is here that we will sign off for this week. Uh, wishing everybody Shabbat Shalom.